Thank you, Sister Amy, for your all the songs you've played this morning. I couldn't help but note that in the offertory hymn you were playing, um, There's Not a Friend Like the Lowly Jesus, one of my favorite old classics. And it fits the theme of the message this morning as we delve into God's Word. And uh, you turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 18 uh, in your Bibles, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, because I want to talk about friends forever. Uh, I love friends, don't you? Beats the alternative, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I love friends, especially friendships that, that last forever. And, and that's kind of what I, want to, I feel like God wants us to focus on this morning from uh, two different perspectives, and, and I hope you'll see that. First, is, as I say, I want you to uh, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18. But then also be probably helpful if you could go ahead and turn uh, over to John the Gospel of John chapter 15 and put a marker there or your neighbor's tie or a finger or something to hold the place. Uh, just know that you're going to eventually be using John 15. We're going to be interchangeably walking back and forth between the Old Testament and New Testament to help to build this point. But, but talking about friends forever and, uh, and the benefit, the blessing of that. Who comes to your mind when you think about a, quote, lifelong friend? Or friends. Lifelong friends. Now, I'm not talking about a current acquaintance that you're just kind of hanging out with or simply, you know, uh, getting to know. I'm talking about someone who would qualify as your closest and best friends. Think about it. When you think about that, who comes to mind? Whose face do you see or faces do you picture in your mind? I already heard somebody say Jesus. I can go ahead and say amen and go home. But not quite, not quite, okay? Amen, no doubt about it, Jesus. And we'll, we'll demonstrate that from the scriptures in just a moment. This would be somebody, when you talk about a best friend, somebody that you trust implicitly, you can bear your heart to, who knows you as, almost as well as you know yourself, somebody that you see as being with you, they're always there for you. You know, in the good, but also in the bad. Doesn't matter unconditional. That's what a best friend is. That's what a lifelong friend. This is somebody that you see being an integral part of your life for as long as you live. When's the last time you took the time to tell them what they mean to you? When's the last time that you told them how much you love them and that you thank God for them? You see, as we talk about these forever friends or forever friendships, our lives in this life on earth are enriched by what I call forever friends. Just try to imagine your life if all of a sudden they're out of your life. You see, they, they have an absolutely essential part to play in our lives. So they forever friendships enrich our lives here on earth. But, but here's what I also want you to grasp too. And we'll demonstrate this in the scripture. There is a particular forever friendship that is absolutely essential to your and my eternal life. And I'll go ahead and go out on a limb and say with great confidence and assurance. Because it's based on the word of God. You won't see heaven. You won't live for eternity in the presence of God if you're not a friend of God. 
You know, it's interesting in the Old Testament twice, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you don't have to go there, I'm just making a reference. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and then again in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 41 verse 8, and then in the New Testament, in the book of James, in chapter 2 verse 23, three times, three times, the scripture says, Abraham was a friend of God. My goodness, if I could just get my name mentioned one time in the scriptures, that Charlie Martin is a friend of God. Three times. And it wasn't because Abraham was such a spectacular, perfect person. He was just as human as you and I. He made mistakes like you and I. But the fact is, his absolute faith and trust in God, his obedience to God's will, earned him the privilege of being called a friend of God. To Abraham, God was his forever friend. Abraham's in heaven, y'all. <laughs> That's not a shocker. <laughs> but the reason he's there is because he's a friend of God. I'll be in heaven one day. I'm confident of that. I don't even have any doubt about that. I'm going to be in heaven one day. Not because I'm a preacher. Not because I'm anything spectacular. I can't help it if I'm absolutely handsome and well built. But that's just a curse. <laughs> not. The only reason that I can say that with assurance is because I, I wake up every morning and I go to bed every night knowing that. Not because of me being special. But because of my faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I am concerned, considered to be a friend of God. And so are you if Christ is the Lord of your life. So please, tuck that back in your mind. And I want you to think about that. So I'm going to be talking from the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, about this idea of forever friendships. And, and we'll be looking at it from the human perspective, but also the divine perspective. And I hope I don't lose you in that by jostling between the scriptures. But first thing, if you're taking notes and there's a section in your worship guide there. And, and I'll just say that for those of you that may be attention deficit or whatever, you know, or short, you know, uh, attention spans or you tend to mind wanders or whatever. I found that it helps me to pay attention if I just kind of jot some things down along the way. Now... If you got one of those photographic memories and everything, you know, click, 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 that's fine. But if not, take some notes. Stay awake. Okay, so here we go. Talking about, first thing that you might want to jot down, we're talking about for, forever friendships. Forever friendships are forged by covenantal love. In other words, love based on covenant. So, we'll talk about forever friendships. As you look at chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, and, and I will remind you that the previous, the preceding chapter is that dramatic chapter where David, the shepherd boy, goes to visit with his brothers who are fighting against the Philistines under King Saul. And they're there in the valley gathered against the Philistines. And out comes this nine and a half foot tall NBA player, no, giant, by the name of Goliath. And he's absolutely intimidating to God's people, the army of Israel, and he's challenging them, and he's taunting them, and he's defying God, and he's defiling the army, and, and, and they're sitting over there shaking all of them, King Saul, all of them. And you know the story. Here comes this little shepherd boy from back home, meandering into the camp, and he hears the giant. He says, isn't anybody going to take care of that dude? I'm paraphrasing, you bring it into contemporary vernacular. 
How dare he stand over there on that hill and insult our God? And nobody. So some, finally, you know, one of the guys said, Hey, you know, I heard that king will give his daughter in marriage to whoever takes on the giant. Now, I don't think that was at all the motive that David took up the challenge. The challenge was to David, somebody's got to shut this guy up. He's blaspheming my God. Jehovah. El Sabaoth. He says, I'll do it. So with the sling and five stones, and that's it. He goes to face this highly armored, armored, nine and a half foot tall giant. Tells him he's going to kill him. He kills him. Puts a stone right between his eyes. And boom, there goes the giant. Cuts his head off. He's a hero. Not Goliath. <laughs> David. And so now, we're at chapter 18. You know, Saul hears about this. Jonathan hears about it. Saul's son, the prince. Jonathan hears about it. All of Israel hears about it. This shepherd boy from Bethlehem has taken down the secret weapon of the Philistines and we had an outstanding victory. And so David is a hero. So just let that be the background against which we, uh, we are bringing forth here. Now, back to the forever friendships of forged in covenantal love. And you're going to see the development of a friendship that is absolutely heartwarming and, and encouraging. A covenantal love is the deepest level of commitment, such as when a bride and a groom stand before a pastor and they exchange vows to love and to cherish and to care for and to take care of and to be with each other. Why? Until death do them part. One of the greatest. And not only is there a birth of a marriage in the exchanging of these vows establishing a love covenant or covenant of love, but, but in this ceremony, every time a man and a woman are married, it's not only the birth of a marriage, it's the birth of a friendship. Jan and I had the privilege of driving up to the reservation. Not really, but that's where my folks live. About two hours from here, right up on the Virginia border. To witness a very rare and a phenomenal occasion of celebration. My Aunt Nettie, my mother's sister, and my Uncle Luther celebrated their 70th, that's 7-0, wedding anniversary. My goodness, 70 years, seven decades later after the vows and nine kids, they had a small family. <laughs> and there were five generations of their family there with them to celebrate yesterday. We had a great time, 70 years. But you know what? The thing that stood out, what a friendship. What a friendship they have enjoyed through the years. It hadn't been all perfect. And no marriage or friendship is. But the fact is, you know, a marriage lasts only till death do us part. A friendship lasts forever. Just remember that. So, husbands and wives, you, you, you shouldn't have to rack your brains to think, who's my number one forever friend? Jesus. See, y'all thought, second Forever friend. Now you're clicking. I see the guys. The lights are coming on now. <laughs> Second forever friend. Your spouse. Your husband or your wife. I'm a, I'm, I am convinced that, that you know, if you're married, your best friend in the world needs to be your spouse. Parents, not your kids. Please don't make the mistake 
of thinking you got to be your kids' friends, best friends. There goes parenthood out the window because they'll milk that for everything. But make sure your spouse, your sweetheart, is your number two forever friend. Because even after death absolves the marital bonds, you will be with each other if you are both believers in Jesus Christ forever. And what we see happening here is a phenomenal development of a friendship of two unlikely characters. Two men, and you know, we men are kind of squeamish about talking, oh yes, my forever friend. <laughs> no, you don't have to be that way about it, but the fact is, the Bible gives us a wonderful example of how two warriors, I mean, you're talking about Jonathan the prince, the son of Saul. I mean, he took on Philistines by the dozens. Nothing. He could slay them left and right. Brave, I mean, as they come. And then there's David. We, wouldn't, we know what he, he's capable of doing. And these two manly warriors forge a forever friendship that is really based on a covenant of bonding love. The thing that David and Jonathan had in common was they were both men who loved God. So let's look at chapter 18, verse 1, and 1 through 3 to get started. And it was so, when he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Man, that's a deep love. And Jonathan, and, and what he's doing now, symbolic of a covenant that he's establishing now in love with David. Jonathan took, it, took, took him that day and would not let him go home, to, or Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his, father, uh, to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Notice Jonathan, the scripture says, loved David as his own soul. They made a covenant. And Jonathan, here's the symbolism, took off his robe. That's to suggest that he's actually submitting to David. And, and, and that was on him and gave it to David. And with his armor, even his sword, his, his bow, and his belt, which suggests that Jonathan, the prince, was even making himself vulnerable. Gave his weaponry to, to his new friend. You see, because Jonathan realized there was something very special about this shepherd boy that came from Bethlehem. And, and not only does it say here in verse 3 that they established this covenant that Jonathan initiated, but also we see references to this covenant that they established in, in later scriptures. For instance, it's turned pages over real quickly to chapter 20. Look at verse 8. It talks about there. David is talking to Jonathan in, ch in chapter 20, verse 8. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, speaking of himself, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. And then if you drop down to verse 16, you'll find Jonathan reminding David, verse 16 of chapter 20. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So here's this covenant, this binding agreement, if you will, based on their love for God, but also their love for one another. This prince displays his commitment to God's plan for David. 
in an unprecedented way. Jonathan saw in David that God had his hand on this young man. And in establishing this forever friendship with David, he was as much as saying, God, I'm buying in to your plan. I want to be a part of this. I support it wholeheartedly. And I think it's interesting too because Jonathan's sister, who's the king's daughter, Michael, we'll see also in the scripture, it also, look at verse 20 in verse eight, uh, chapter 18, 18 ver, chapter 18, verse 20. Just, just glance there because I want you to see God's spirits working not only in Jonathan, but also in his sister, Michael, the king's daughter. Now, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And see, she saw also in David that God had his hand on this young man. Now, I think it's interesting. Jonathan sees God's hand on David and, 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 and throws his support behind David. Michael sees God's hand on David, falls in love with him. In fact, she would be given to David as, as, as his bride by Saul. But it's interesting. Saul, King Saul, in contrast allows his pride and his jealousy to rob him of the privilege, the chance to be a friend of David and thus to be a friend of God in choosing to oppose God's plan and to, uh, to, to be ruled by jealousy and, and envy, Saul finds himself in opposition to God. Look down in chapter 18. Verse 8, then Saul was very angry. What was he angry at? Well, the women of the town were singing. Wow, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands, ten thousands. And jealousy and envy and resentment began to swell and it would eventually consume Saul. Now, this bond that has been developed in this friendship between Jonathan and David, we see it actually taking root here. We'll see it develop throughout the scripture line that we'll be looking at. But, but I want you to hold your place now. In chapter 18, here in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel, now we'll go over to that John's Gospel chapter 15 passage because I want you to see something also significant for you and I as Christians. And if you're here today, and you do not have an authentic faith relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, you've not made a commitment to trust in Christ and to follow Him obediently by faith and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, listen up. In chapter 15, we know this chapter because it's the, chap the vine chapter where Jesus talks about the essentials of being a follower of Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And in chapter 15, in verses 1 through 8, Jesus is basically saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me and I abide in him. In other words, Jesus is saying to be a true follower of mine, to be one of mine, he says, you must have your faith and trust in me. You must abide in me by faith. And as a result, I will abide by my spirit in you. There's a oneness. That's the first step. You can't not enter into a friendship with God without absolute faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. 
Because he develops this relationship further as you go on in chapter 15. And I want you to focus your attention now, beginning in verse 9. Because just as Jonathan the prince took the initiative to establish a forever friendship with an undeserving, unworthy, if you will, peasant boy by the name of David, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ tells us that He takes the initiative to establish a friendship with you and me. Let's look. Verse 9, chapter 15 to John. As the Father loved me, I also have uh, loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. I'm sure that caught the disciples' attention. Wow! Somebody would love somebody so much that willingly they lay down their life for their friend. Wow! Look at verse 14. Jesus says, you, talking to his disciples, you who abide in me and I abide in you, those of you who have put your faith absolutely in me and you trust me and you are willing to be obedient to me and therefore you abide in my love, he says, guess what? Not only are you my servants, oh no, no more. You are now my friends. But notice he's taken the initiative. Notice he's taken the initiative. He says in verse 14, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. God's Son reached out to us first. He took the initiative to reach out to us first. In, in the book of Romans, in chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, In this the love of God was demonstrated towards us, in that while we were yet, what? Sinners. Unworthy. Depraved. Lost. Hellbound. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. That's, a, that's absolutely amazing. We didn't have to get ourselves cleaned up. We didn't have to prove to Him that we're worthy. But because of His amazing grace and His unconditional divine love, God took the initiative 2,000 years ago to die on the cross to establish a covenant of love with you and me through grace in which one day we could call the Lord our friend. Don't underestimate the great and awesome privilege it is to be a friend of God, dear friend. Don't just flip that off. I said, oh yeah, I'm a friend of God. I also got Wi-Fi. <laughs> Come on, listen. In our world, technology is a great asset to our modern way of living. No doubt about it. I'm not bemoaning that, though I'm very ancient and well be far behind in catching up with some of it. But I'm afraid that the social media, with the social media with its capacity to allow us to, to establish or accumulate many, quote, friends... I don't do Facebook 
because they don't know how. But anyway, I don't do Facebook, but many of you do, and you have many friends. Uh, you know, people talking, you know, it's just amazing. People say, oh, I got about a half a million friends. That's woo. But you see, the, the, the technology and the way that, that you can establish these, accumulate these, quote, friends, has stifled the process, has stifled the process of, of being able to, to develop true, lasting, trusting friendships. The process by which real friendships are formed. Folks, I'm sorry, I'm old-fashioned, but I believe I'm on the right course. Real friendships come as a result of, of, of face-to-face conversations and talking and sharing and opening your heart up and experiencing things together. You can't do it electronically. It requires time, sacrifice, communicating thoughts, feelings, fears, experiencing life together. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, no longer you're my servants, but you're my, you're my friends. I don't think we can appreciate just what Jesus is saying there unless you go over to Philippians in chapter 2 and you let the Apostle Paul describe to you the scenario of what Jesus did in taking the initiative to put himself in a position so that we could one day call him friend, he could call us friends, and we would abide with him forever in the presence of God in heaven. Listen to how Paul puts it in Philippians in chapter 2, talking about the humble and yet exalted Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, listen to what he says. Let this mind be in you, he's telling the Philippian Christians, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. In verse 8, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Look what Jesus did for us. Jesus, the Son of God, took off his divine robe, if you will, Stepped out of the throne room of God with all the the, the privileges and the the, the beauty and the splendor and the perfection, the sinlessness. And he, he stooped down, he came down to us. But Jesus took the initiative to do that. Solomon took the initiative. You remember what Solomon did? He took his robe off. You know what Jesus did? He took his robe off. He came down here. He took the initiative to establish this forever friendship with us that is forged through a covenant of love. Well, let's move on because I want you to see another point about forever friendships. And and we'll follow along. You can go back to chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. Don't wear your little Bible ribbon out too much there. But I want you to continue to follow the progression of that friendship and to see the the authenticity of a a friendship forged in a covenant of love. Because not only are forever friendships forged in covenantal love, but they, but they, number two, they are expressed in sacrificial, humble, sacrificial love. You can tell a true forever friendship because it is expressed in humble, sacrificial love. You know that you're in a forever friendship if you're not preoccupied about what you can get out of your friend but what you can do for your friend you know you're in a forever friendship 
when you're not obsessed with what can they do for me? But instead, your mind is constantly thinking about what do they need? How can I meet their needs? That's what true, genuine love is about. And Jonathan demonstrates that kind of love towards David in his friendship with David. As he expressed this kind of sacrificial, humble sacrificial love to David, his new covenantal love friend, his forever friend. Let me tell you something. It was costly. It was costly. Remember I told you, going back to chapter 18, in fact we'll jump over to chapter 20. Remember I told you, Saul is, is breathing threats. He is angry. He's jealous. He's, he's fearful. He's threatened by David. And all that he can think about is I've got to kill this, this young superstar now. He threatens my throne, my, my, my family's lineage, my reign over Israel. I've got, to, I've got to get rid of this menace. And yet, all along at the same time, his son Jonathan loves David. So it really creates tension in the family, you might say, but it also comes at a cost for David, for with Jonathan. Because as you look over in chapter 20, and I, I just want to kind of move the progression along here. In chapter 20, if you look with me in, in verse 30. Now I'll just quickly tell you this. The custom of that day was when, when the new moon occurred, there was a feast. And the king's household, everybody in the king's household was expected to be at the new moon feast. Now, mind you, David, David was playing his harp back in chapter 18. David was playing his harp trying to soothe the king. The, the king was so filled with anger and, and jealousy. It says in verse 11 of chapter 18, And Saul cast his spear, and he says, I'll pin David against the wall. This is how angry, this is how much he hates him. This is how much he distrusts David. He's already tried to pin David against the wall. So could you understand, I mean, if, if you had a friend that invited you or somebody that invited you over for dinner and maybe two weeks before they tried to shoot you between the eyes with a shotgun, uh, I may, you might say, you know what, I, I, give me a rain check. <clears throat> I, I just don't feel comfortable to come over tonight. So you can kind of understand why David had begged Saul, uh, Jonathan, tell your dad, tell your dad that I, I, I've opted to go home to be with my parents and brothers for this, for this feast. And, and that'll be kind of a test, if you will. Well, it sure was, because as you look there, when Jonathan told his dad this at the feast, Saul had noticed David wasn't there. Look at the reaction of Saul in chapter 20, verse 30. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Man, I won't even begin to try to translate that in 20th century language, okay? Do, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Man, he's really using some descriptive words. Here. Verse 31. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom, nor therefore, now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. When your own daddy turns on you and begins to call you names like that and, and, and say, you ignorant boy, don't you see? He's going to become the king. You won't be the king. 
But Saul couldn't understand that to Jonathan, that was not a big deal. If it's not God, if it's not God's will for me to be the king, if God has anointed this man David to be my friend, to be king, Jonathan says, I'm all in. So it wasn't a deal, but it was definitely costly because it became a factor in his relationship with his father. You say, well, pastor, they really just had an argument. And fathers and sons do that. Oh, yeah? Stay with me. Chapter 20, okay? Remember, you don't want to eat dinner with Saul if he's got a weapon nearby. I'll just say that, okay? Because when Jonathan tried to reply in verse 32 and answered Saul his father and says, why should he be killed? What has he done? That would be a reasonable response for, you know, in, in defense of your friend. Well, look at verse 33. Then Saul cast a spear at him. Who? His son, Jonathan. He cast a spear at him to kill him. By which Jonathan knew it was determined by his father to kill David. So at that point, let me tell you something. It could have cost Jonathan his life. His dad is functioning like a wild man. Dear friend, let me tell you something. Sometimes your loyalty to a forever friend might cost you something. Yes, when that forever friend happens to be a true follower of Jesus Christ and their godly values and their Christian convictions and their courageous stand on biblical principles puts them at odds with the secular, ungodly crowd around you, when you choose to stand firm with your forever friend who is a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of Jesus Christ as you are, it may cost you. No, I'll say it will cost you. It will cost you friendships. It will cost you family relationships. There will be family members that say, you become a religious freak like him or like her. We don't even want you to come to the family reunions anymore. All this gospel stuff. That friend of yours has tainted your mind. Oh, listen, it will cost you social invitations. You'll be checking your phone. You'll think, do I have a dial tone? I mean, have I been disconnected? Used to be uh, all the time my phone was ringing, you know, I was texting and yeah, uh, come to the party. Hey, we're getting together, man. We're going to meet up at the bar. Hey, come on over. We're going to have some drinks. And, you know, oh, and all of a sudden, uh, it'll cost you. It'll cost you promotions. Yeah, you might not advance as far in the company because the word gets up. Uh-uh. This guy's friends are, are dedicated followers of this Jesus. Uh, the, we don't want him or her coming up in the company ladder. No. It will cost you popularity. There was a time. There was a time when it was popular to stand with Christians. There was a time when it was popular to have dedicated, biblical, committed Christian friends. Forever friends. But no more, ladies and gentlemen. No more. So it, it, it can be costly for you and me. But you know, Jesus has said that his friendship with his disciples would be costly. 
His choosing to be a forever friend with His disciples would be costly. Did you hear what Jesus said in John 15, 13? He said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus had already demonstrated that. And John would pick up on that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. He says, In this the love of God has been manifested towards us, in that He has sent His only Son, His only begotten Son, into this world, that we might live through Him. Oh yeah, it would cost. It would cost. You remember back in, in Philippians in chapter 2 when Paul was talking about how Christ humbled Himself and he talked about how Christ came in the form of man, stepped out of the glory of heaven, came down and left all the benefits of being in the presence of God the Father and in the angels and came down to this earth and, and, and humbled Himself in, in the likeness of a man? That'd be like you choosing to become like a snail. And that doesn't happen through reincarnation in case you're trying to figure that out. But anyway, therefore... He says he humbled himself to the point of death. And not only that, it cost him horribly. Not only did Jesus die. Folks, it wouldn't have mattered somebody just walking up, a Roman soldier walking up and poof, an arrow through his heart. and Just like that, he died in a few seconds. Oh no, our Lord hung on a cross outside of the city gates of Jerusalem in the agonizing, torturous form of a persecution and an execution, crucifixion, and he hung on that cross and he, he, he was suffocating and he was, he was de- terribly dehydrated, bleeding to death, and for hours he hung there. The death of a criminal! Don't tell me! I know people say, well, Christianity, you know, being a Christian is, is free, salvation is free. Yes! Yes! Praise God! We don't have to do works, we don't have to earn it, we can't earn it. But it cost the Son of God dearly. And you know what? When you choose to enter into forever friendships, sometimes it might cost you. But you know, a real true forever friend doesn't go around keeping a notebook or on their cell phone and say, yep, yep. I lost a promotion for you last week. I just want to remind you. Oh, don't forget, my girlfriend broke up with me two two weeks ago. Yeah, uh-huh. And, yeah, and they're smearing my name in, in the social. No, you don't go around keeping a record because Jesus doesn't keep a record. Whatever the cost is as forever friends, we're happy to pay it. Jonathan was happy to pay whatever price for the sake of his friend. Finally, I want you to see that not only are forever friendship forged in the covenantal love, not only are they expressed in sacrificial love, but, but please see this. I want you to see the fruit of it. It's important. The fruit of the forever friendship that, that you have with those who you choose to bond with in this world, beginning if you're married with your spouse and then from there in other relationships. But, but forever friendships are strengthened with eternal love. A love that never dies. I remember dating myself now. Michael W. Smith came out with a song maybe a couple decades ago. Good gracious alive. But, but I remember they, they had it at Caswell when I took a group of the youth there and they, had, they, they sang it and it was called Friends or Friends Forever. And I love that song. It was, it was really neat to think about that. But you know what? The truth is, if you have forever friends, your friendship is Forever. 
Unlike the secular lost world around us, you know, I don't care how close buddies are, drinking buddies, partying buddies, buddies in crime, whatever it may be, you know, they talk, oh man, we're tight, brother, yeah. Guess what? We leave this world, the friendship's over. That's it. Not so for it forever friends. You see, their mutual, David and Jonathan, their mutual love for the Lord was the strength of their friendship. It superseded time, it superseded circumstances, and it's safe to say that both men viewed their relationship with each other through their relationship with God. You can't have an eternal friendship with someone if you first don't have a friendship with the eternal God. And they understood the covenant that they were making was in the presence of God. It was with the blessing of God. And they understood that their love for one another would go on. It would be providentially protected by God. Now you say, how do you know that, Pastor Charlie? I only know it because the Bible says it. I'll fast forward. David has to flee for his life. Because Saul has deemed him to be a fugitive. He was running for his life. Saul's chasing him. Saul's a madman. Finally one day, Saul and tragically Jonathan, Prince Jonathan are killed in a battle with the Philistines. And just as God had promised David, he emerges and, and is, is raised up to be king of Israel. And he takes care of all the enemies. God blesses him. He brings peace. And, and, and you know, years later, Saul's in the grave. Jonathan's in the grave. Years later, look, at, look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 9. Because you'll see the fruit of this forever friendship. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now if you were to go back and you looked in those chapters 18, 19, 20, in those covenants, Jonathan, Jonathan said to David, I want you to pledge your love not only to me, but to my descendants. Because you see, the custom was, if you were the new monarchy, if you were the new first family, you eliminated all of the family, anybody that might be a potential threat to your throne from the previous administration, you made sure you exterminated them. So there was no potential threat to your throne, your reign. What is David saying? Hey, listen, does anybody know where there might be just one descendant left out of Saul's household? This is beautiful. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba who when they had called him to David the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he says, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba the king said, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. And in that culture, folks, if you are not an able-bodied working man... He's basically saying he's he's invalid. He's worthless. I mean, but but he, he's still living. I mean, the nurse dropped him when he was a baby and he ended up being lame. And yeah, but there is a descendant. And, you know, David could have said, I, I don't want to mess with a cripple. If there's nobody else, I'll just forget it. But look, 
So the king said to him in verse 4, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Mekar, Mekir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, be careful how you say that fact. <laughs> now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself because he's probably thinking, Ooh, man. The king's bringing me up because he wanted to find out if anybody's left. He's going to... Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said... What is your servant that you should look at such look upon such a dead dog as I? That tells you about what Mephibosheth thought of himself. Now I know you've probably made some bloopers and said some things and you just said, Man, I, I, I feel like a dead dog. He said, What is it that you would what is it that would motivate you to even take note of such a worthless creature like me, a cripple? From a dejected monarchy. And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all his house. You therefore and your sons, your servants, shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Wow. And look at verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his legs. You know, let me tell you something. That was like a a dream coming true. How many times did Mephibosheth wake up during the night and just slap himself? (laughs) Wake up! You can't be living here in the king's palace. You can't have all the land that your grandfather is and is being worked and you're making money. You don't have to worry about what to eat, to dress. You're you're forever guest of the king of Israel, the most powerful nation. What in the world? I'll tell you what. It's the fruit of forever friendships. The love that David had for Jonathan, the love that Jonathan had for David would live in them for generations to come. And they are in eternity enjoying that friendship today. I close by telling you, our friendship with the Lord is manifested by that same kind of love magnified. We have a forever friend. His name is Jesus. He came and took the initiative to establish a friendship with us as our Savior based on love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes upon Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what this friendship we have with Jesus is all about. 
In 1 John, the other 3.16, 1 John 3.16, he says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Oh yeah, that's love. His love would cover our sins. His love would make us righteous in the sight of God. His love would put us in a position, someday I'm going to be walking around on the streets of glory in the presence of angels and saints who've gone on ahead of me like Saint Francis of Assisi who wrote the song and all Paul and, and all of them and I'll be smacking myself and I'll be saying, is it possible that I'm really here? Is it possible that I got to, I'm going to live forever? Is it possible that every conceived need that I have is taken care of? There's no more sickness, no death, there's no more disease. Is it possible that there's no sin anymore? Yes. Because of my friend Jesus. Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities no things present, no things to come, no height, no death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And how do we express our love back to this wonderful Prince of Peace, King of Glory, who has opted and taken the initiative to reach out to us to bond in a covenantal forever friendship? What is it that we, is required of us? Jesus simply says in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them. He is the one who loves me. All we have to do is obey his commandments. And Jesus said in John 15.10, we will abide in his love. Oh listen, there are many wonderful forever friends out there in the world. As I said, your, your spouse... Or dear Christian friends that you've known, that have been a part of your life, that are a part of your life now, that you look to, you trust, you can call upon them. You don't, no matter what the storms are, you know they're going to be there. It's unconditional. Listen, friends that you can open your heart up, you can trust, you know they got your back, they, they got your best interest. They're not looking out selfishly for themselves. They're not using you as a stepping uh, step in, a step to get to, yeah, a ladder, stepping ladder to get to some other promotion, to some other privilege. Listen, all they want is your love. But we'll never have a friend like Jesus. I like that song we sang earlier. What a friend we have in Jesus. And that song that Amy played in the offertory. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. If you're not a friend of God today, if you're not blessed to enjoy this wonderful, eternal bond of love, friendship with Christ, God may be calling you today. And all He's saying to you is that, I want you to be my friend. And I've done everything necessary to make it possible. All I'm asking you to do is put your faith and your trust And choose to follow me for the rest of your life. And you will experience all the fruits and all the blessings of this wonderful forever friendship.